The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. We live in a world where you know, information is immediately accessible to to security forces in, in, in ways that really do facilitate observation of what we're doing to, you know, levels that were unimaginable 20 or 30 years ago. We would like to be able to access all of our private data immediately whenever we want, but we also need to use multi-factor authentication all the time to prevent people from hacking or phishing us. And we need to protect other people's personal data. So we're always kind of trading off our desire to do what we want online with the fact that we also need to be protected from, from bad actors. Good morning, listeners. Today, I want to tell you about a new concept in law enforcement that's pretty much guaranteed to wipe out crime and terrorism. Sounds good, right? Here's how it works. Police officers will come to your house and install listening devices in every room. They'll also insert a tracking chip under your skin so they can monitor your movements at all times. And as they read through your emails and monitor your conversations, they can swoop in and arrest you at the first sign that you're up to no good. This new system is going to make the country so safe. And everyone wants to be safe, right? Well, if you're not fully on board with this plan, you might be a criminal or you might just see the problem that Ben Ansel calls the security trap. Ben is a political scientist and my guest this week. And in his new book, Why Politics Fails, he explains why navigating the terrain between total freedom and total control can be so tricky. The security trap is that we can't avoid anarchy without risking tyranny. If no one is protecting us, then we have to spend all of our time looking over our shoulders to make sure that we're safe. We have to trust others who we might not be able to trust. We live in anarchy. But if we are being protected, any force powerful enough to protect us is also powerful enough to predate on us. We tip into tyranny. We all went through this trade-off in a very personal way during the COVID-19 lockdowns. States were compelled to restrict our freedoms to prevent disease from spreading, but they often overstepped the mark. In Wuhan, China, the city where the virus first emerged, the balance of order fell decidedly on the side of the police. The most striking image was of government workers welding shut the doors of a Wuhan apartment complex, forcing residents to stay in their flats. Wuhanese citizens were allowed out only once every three days, one person, at a time. To check into the hospital, they had to be approved by a neighbourhood committee. Across the city, large yellow barricades divided buildings and neighbourhoods from one another. On their smartphones, citizens seeking to pass those checkpoints had to present a QR code to a police scanner. The public could be forcibly controlled at the gates of their apartment complexes by uniformed agents of the state. Or they could be controlled invisibly through code. By contrast, in the United States, each state set lockdown rules according to its local politics. South Dakota's Governor Kristi Noem argued that South Dakotans could be trusted to manage their own risks. South Dakota's massive Sturgis motorcycle rally went ahead as normal in August 2021. But by September, the New York Times was featuring stories about participants who had been killed by the virus just weeks later. 
by early November, the number of weekly new cases was over 1.5% of the state's population. Wide-open prairies and personal responsibility alone were no shield. Treating people like adults hadn't stopped them becoming patients. Anarchy, like tyranny, had its costs. You say here that we can't avoid anarchy without risking tyranny. And I think you could say it the other way around, too. You can't yep, avoid exactly. tyranny without risking anarchy. And as you go on to describe in the book, you know, COVID and the crisis that we just went through with this pandemic is a pretty stark example of this, where in the public health context, trying to manage, contain this virus required some pretty extraordinary measures on the part of government, which in any other context, most people would not have accepted these lockdowns. Uh, and even in this context, many people did not accept lockdowns. And, you know, unfortunately, this will almost certainly not be the last pandemic we face. And I, I just wonder, having been through this rather torturous uh, experience, if you think any lessons have been learned from the COVID pandemic. Well, I'd hope so. But, you know, one of the themes of the book is we do often make the same mistake over and over again. But let's let's imagine that we don't. The most extreme parts of COVID from a kind of tyrannical perspective for the average person in a Western country were the, were the first months, right, where we really right. didn't know a great deal about the disease. You know, in, in some countries in Europe, people were only like France, they were only let out for an hour a day and they had to write on a piece of paper where they were going and when. So French yeah. people would just walk around with pieces of paper in their pockets to write the names on as they went around. Uh, you know, in the example I've drawn in the book in Wuhan, China, people were sealed into apartment buildings. And of course, then we had a lot of the you know, deeply constraining, maybe tyrannical parts of the human side of the lockdown, people not being allowed to see dying relatives, right? Not mm. being allowed to go to funerals. I think many of those issues we know in retrospect pushed too far uh, what you know, free humans could expect from our government. Uh, and I would hope that they don't occur again, not least because it's not clear that they saved as many lives as they ruined in their extreme. It's, you know, right. But what is I mean, also clear is that we couldn't have gone on as normal without incredibly high fatality rates. Yeah. And I mean, some of this was just luck, right? That the 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 lethality of the of COVID was what it was, which was bad, but it could have been much worse. And so you can imagine a situation where a far more lethal virus was at loose in the public, and we would absolutely need to keep people from visiting their sick relatives. We would absolutely need yeah. to shut down schools because the costs of not doing that would be catastrophic. Yeah, and we could imagine one whose um, you know, prime victims were not over the age of 85, mm. uh, but were infant children or people in their 20s, like with the Spanish flu. And then I think we probably would have had a very different political reaction to, to the lockdown. So... You know, there there were huge challenges we faced in that. And I, I think it's very, very hard to get exactly right. But the the problem that we ought to avoid with any future lockdowns is people exploiting the lockdowns and, you know, to sort of you know, strengthen, strengthen their rule and sort of arbitrary acts of tyranny. You know, the, the early days when, you know, in Italy and the UK, the police were flying drones around beaches to catch people sunbathing, mm -hmm. you, you know, were, were, were not a good use 
of resources and were an overextension that we've seen in security forces, certainly in North America, but I think to some degree in Europe, where the kind of militarization of and and or if you like counterintelligenceization of the police, right? Gaining all these new powers has has moved beyond what we would expect of the people whose you know job is to protect public order, but not you know at the cost of making us all live in a tyrannical situation. And and besides the topic of a public health, where are some other places where we see this issue of the security trap? I mean, we want the government to protect us from criminals, from terrorists, from other bad actors, but doing that robustly means we want a government that that gathers a lot of information on people, that has a lot of ability to lock people up. And, you know, there's a clear danger in in overreach in that area. Yeah, absolutely. We we live in a world where, you know, information is immediately accessible to to security forces in in, in ways that really do facilitate observation of what we're doing to, you know, levels that were unimaginable 20 or 30 Years ago, we would like to be able to access all of our private data immediately whenever we want, but we also need to use multi-factor authentication all the time to prevent people from hacking or phishing us, and we need to protect other people's personal data. So we're always kind of trading off our desire to do what we want online with yeah. the fact that we also need to be protected from, from bad actors. So I know you're not going to give me an easy solution to this, but... If I've got tyranny on the one hand and anarchy on the other, can you point me to how I could look for a way out of the security trap? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a challenge. I think we, um, we need to probably be monitored more than we used to in the past, at least when we're online. Because, you know, as anyone who follows crypto scans on the internet knows, the absence of any security at all often ends up to everybody losing their money completely. I just think in a virtual world, it's really easy for malfeasance to happen anonymously. Mm -hmm. So we, we do need some kind of oversight. And we need fairly strong omniscient oversight. So the only way to handle that is to have a really clear set of guidelines and rules about what you do when the people who are supposed to be protecting you stretch too far. And I think that's been challenging in the United States in part because police unions are so confrontational with people who try and restrict them. But, you know, even in the United Kingdom, we've had great difficulty in in reeling in the metropolitan force. So it requires a politician. It requires somebody who stands above police officers really enforcing, you know, the sets of restrictions and regulations on the police, not necessarily removing their money, but creating enforcement mechanisms to make sure that when our protectors step out of line, they're punished in the way that we expect that they ought to be. Well, that's all for today. Come on back tomorrow when Ben will walk us through one more trap that bedevils modern politics. And it's a doozy. It's the one he says is keeping us from seriously addressing what may be the most daunting challenge we face, runaway climate change. Ben calls the problem the prosperity trap, and he just might be able to show us a way out. Until then, I'm your host, Michael Kovnett. See you tomorrow.